2: Recorded live. Well, hello, folks. This is Michael Adams. Nothing but the truth. will man's journey to find it. And we're going to play a couple of the uh, uh, videos, at least the audio, audio of them, of course. Uh, I think we'll start out with, uh, of course, this is about the, the moon landing hoax. And we're going to start with the funny thing happened on the way to the moon. And then uh, we'll play fake moon landing exposed. And uh should be interesting. I have uh, big doubts and questions that we went to it mm-hmm. myself. Obviously that's the reason why I'm doing it. And uh just a little break from the the usual and uh forever it's worth just a little break. So I don't know. Tell me what you think. Uh Let me know what you think about this. You know, it's email is M-A-H-E-R-S-H-A-L-A-R-T at Yahoo.com. Tell me what you think. As for me, the thing that's really suspect to me is why we haven't been back. All that time and energy and resources and why we haven't been back. So, I think it's a worthy question to ask. Maybe these people have something. Maybe they got something right here. So,
3: so the first thing we'll do is we'll check out this one. The funny thing happened to the moon.
4: race has been at war, first with members of their own family, then their fellow countrymen, and finally nations at large. Yet perhaps the starting ground for all these conflicts lays somewhere deeper within the very character of the human condition and the dark, untouchable crevices of the human heart. It is said that the first iniquity of free will began even before the maiden pilgrimage from the embryo preceding the very creation of the earth itself in the full life of souls in the heavenly realm. The dawn of warfare, some believe, was initiated by a fallen angel whose trespass against God was pride. In ancient Babylonia, in an age so long ago that the exact millennium remains in question, the Tower of Babel began construction. It was to be the single greatest achievement of this human earth a tower so tall that its summit would reach the heavens, and by it prove to the world that their race was superior. It would be God's irony that it would never be finished. Time passed, nations fell, a machine age emerged, and once again the ingenuity of the species which held dominion over all others unveiled what was at the time the most monumental accomplishment ever imagined, the largest machine yet constructed. An automation so mammoth and so revered, even before its first demonstration, that its only befitting name was Titanic. On April 10th, 1912, it set sail. It was boasted to be the ship that God himself could not sink. It would be God's irony that the very element that was meant to keep it afloat would cause it to sink. Water, frozen water, in the form of an iceberg, not even one voyage did it complete. And then the next age embarked into the annals of human history. Perhaps the last age. The space age. Competition for victor was unparalleled. Powerful nations spent billions in unabashed rivalry to outdo the other. The Soviet Union launched the first orbiting satellite. The first animal. The first man. They had loved more hours in space than the United States and in June of 1969 they launched an unmanned probe to the moon to retrieve the first soil sample from another world just one month before Apollo 11. That's how close the race was. Had their unmanned probe not crash-landed into the lunar surface, the first moon rock brought back to Earth would have been by the Soviet Union. Richard Nixon president at the time had this to say about the latest work of the human hand it is the greatest week since creation the greatest event since the laying of the foundation of the sea, since the origin of the universe itself since the design and formation of the delicate human eye through which all these things are perceived was a flying machine with its two passengers landing on its closest celestial neighbor and returning from where it came Perhaps, again, God's irony lies somewhere within this great boast of humankind. The building of the tallest tower for the sole purpose of standing out among the races was never finished. The machine that was so great that it was said to be untouchable by even God never completed its first voyage. And finally, the crowning achievement of humankind, the greatest boast of the species, the event in human history most associated with pride in our own accomplishments, landing on the moon. Twenty years later, and years behind schedule, the same space program couldn't put into Earth orbit a telescope with a lens as focused. And yet two decades earlier, a mission 100 times more complicated worked on its first occasion. With close scrutiny of the motives of the zealous Nixon administration, a critical examination of the entirely government controlled press coverage and newly discovered footage of the crew of apollo 11 staging part of their mission we wish to detail what may come to be the greatest government conspiracy of all time a funny thing happened on the way to the moon
5: We'll have a lovely afternoon, kiss the world goodbye, and away we'll fly. Destination Moon. We'll travel fast as light till we're out of sight. The Earth will be like a toy balloon. But what a thrill you'll get riding on my deck. A destination moon. We'll go up, 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 up. Straight to the moon, we too High in the starry blue I'll be out of this world with you So away we'll steal in my space mobile A supersonic honeymoon Leave your cares below Pull the switch, let's go A destination moon Or we'll go up 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 straight to the moon with we you we'll be high in the star blue. Hanukkah, honeymoon. Leave your care below. Pull that switch, let's go. Destination.
6: we stand in relation to the Russians, and do you think we can ever catch up?
0: I'm convinced that in the space field, the Russians are ahead of us, particularly in uh, large weightlifting capability, and uh, that at the moment, the problem is not so much to catch up, but first build up the working speed that we have already demonstrated. After we are running as fast as they do, there's still a considerable gap to close, And only uh, the future will tell whether we'll manage to close that
6: gap. We cannot and will not ever get into this race as we should, so long as all of our objectives are short-term objectives. We've got to have no finite end to our objectives. The end of our objectives should be as far as we can see at any given time. But right now, we need a 10- to 12-year program that has as its ultimate goal the man-domination of space. And if we don't, we're going to be in trouble. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal, before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. We must assure our preeminence in the peaceful exploration of outer space, focusing on an expedition to the moon in this decade. T minus 60 seconds and counting. We pass T minus 60. 55 seconds and counting. Neil Armstrong reported back when he received the good wishes. Thank you very much. We know it will be a good flight. Good luck and Godspeed. 30 seconds away from the Apollo 11 liftoff. All the second stage tanks now pressurized. 35 seconds and counting. We are still so with Apollo 11. 30 seconds and counting. Astronauts report it feels good. T minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, Ignition sequence start, six.
4: Unbeknownst to the citizenry, high above the Earth, beginning at an altitude of 1,000 miles and extending an additional 25,000 miles, lay lethal bands of radiation called the Van Allen radiation belts. Every space mission in history with humans on board, from both the United States and Soviet Union, from the first in 1961 to the present, has been well below this deadly radiation field. Mercury, Gemini, Soyuz, Skylab, the Space Shuttle, all maintained altitudes well below 1,000 miles, all except Apollo. The more experienced Soviets spent 100 hours in space for every 20 hours of the U.S. In order to survive the hour-and-a-half journey through this radiation field necessary to reach the moon and return, solid bed shielding between the astronauts and the exposure outside would be required. The mammoth Saturn V rocket used by Apollo was already 35 stories tall and weighed as much as a battleship. To add additional tonnage in the form of a lead barrier completely surrounding the crew members would have made it impossible for the vehicle to get off the ground. That is why the Soviets, though more advanced, only sent an unmanned probe to the moon. The Apollo spacecraft's narrowest shielding was less than one eighth of an inch of light aluminum. In 1998, the Space Shuttle flew to an altitude of 350 miles, one of its highest altitudes ever, hundreds of miles below the beginning of a field of radiation that was so severe that the astronauts inside of their shielded spacecraft and inside of their shielded spacesuits saw flashes of light with their eyes shut that they described as shooting stars. Due to radiation penetrating first the shuttle's shielding, then their spacesuit shielding, then their skulls, and finally the retinas of their closed eyes. As a result, CNN issued the following report noting NASA's unpredicted surprise. The radiation belts surrounding Earth may be more dangerous for spacewalking astronauts than previously believed. Scientists say the phenomena known as the Van Allen belts can spawn killer electrons when the Earth's magnetic field changes. These electrons that are being studied could have an important effect, not only on satellites, which has happened in the past, but could also affect the astronauts by creating large doses of radiation that could influence their health. The electrons can penetrate through various materials, including spacesuits, and can pass through, in fact, the walls of the space station, and can create high charges deep inside of these objects. President Kennedy, a man of political, not scientific background, set the irrevocable goal of landing a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s, just days after America's first astronaut had spent a mere 16 minutes in space, not even achieving a single orbit around the Earth.
6: We choose to go to the moon in this decay and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. We take an additional risk by making it in full view of the world. But as shown by the feet of astronaut Shepard, this very risk enhances our stature when we are successful.
4: The technology necessary to launch the massive Saturn V rocket and an intercontinental ballistic missile is 95% similar. When the Soviet Union launched mankind's first satellite, Sputnik, in 1957, there was grave concern that they had mastered space ahead of the United States and might use this advantage to launch a first nuclear strike from an orbit high above North America. When they also put the first animal in space, then the first man in space, then achieved the first spacewalk, the first crew of three, and the first ever of two simultaneously orbiting spacecrafts, Concern turned to fear and then horror as America watched their communist enemy achieve all these firsts with no hope in sight of ever catching up. President,
7: President, uh, a member
6: of Congress said today that he was tired of being, seeing the United States second to Russia in the space field. I suppose he speaks to a lot of others. What is the prospect that we will catch up with Russia and perhaps surpass Russia in this field. However tired anybody may be, and uh, no one is more tired than, uh, uh, than I am, uh, it is a fact that
0: it, uh, uh, it's going to take some time, and I think we have to recognize it. They
6: secured these large boosters which have led to their being first in Sputnik and led to their first uh, putting their man in space. We are, I hope, uh, going to be able to uh, carry out our efforts with due regard to the problem of the life of the man involved uh, this year, but uh, we are behind.
4: If it was impossible to better the Soviets in the space race, which was really a race of technological armaments, what could be done? How could America offset the threat of superior weaponry? Throughout the history of rivalry and war, astute generals of lesser armies than their counterparts have used deceit and misinformation as a method to achieve victory. In World War II, for example, columns of inflatable tanks were placed at locations afar from Normandy to draw German forces away from the real location of invasion. The Star Wars Missile Defense Program rigged tests to make it seem more advanced than it really was. That's the conclusion of the General Accounting Office. The aim was to fool the Soviet Union about U.S. military readiness during the Cold War. Certainly, it was not possible to fool just the Soviets about U.S. strategic capability in the 1960s while somehow informing 200 million Americans of the truth secretly. In order for them to believe the United States had the capability to go to the moon, everyone would have to believe it furthermore the pride of a nation was at stake and the goal of a martyr not to mention the growing unrest domestically of a government throwing tens of thousands of lives away in a foreign war riddled with contradiction and ambiguity in addition the apollo program had already spent billions of dollars if it failed to achieve its goal with such an investment it would indeed be a large and bitter pill for the taxpayers to swallow the cost of the program whose sole goal was to be the first to plant a flag on the lifeless rock just outside the earth if adjusted for inflation to the 21st century was 135 billion dollars with a profit margin of just seven percent this would be equal to over nine billion dollars profit going to the privileged contractors chosen by their friends at NASA. If the machinery was in fact only achieving Earth orbit, as other earlier missions had already done, then the completion and functionality of the other components would not have been as important, and even more profit would have been made. $135 billion could feed 2 million people for their entire lives. It could also buy 2 million two-bedroom houses, Yet how could such an undertaking be kept secret, and for such a long time? To the latter, one needs only to remember that an unsolved riddle, six years older, the assassination of President Kennedy, still daunts the minds of the vast majority of Americans. As a parent of a conspiracy, as his assassin being assassinated himself, the truth of the matter has still escaped history. In keeping a secret of the magnitude of the Apollo missions being fraudulently created, one turns to the Manhattan Project for comparison. Surreptitiously building the first nuclear bomb during the early to mid-1940s involved 129,500 people over a three-year period. Yet the secret did not get out. A quarter century later, the art and technology of espionage inevitably improved narrowing dramatically the number of players in the know of a large clandestine operation. Just one year before the first mission to the moon, NASA launched the Tetra satellite, specifically designed to simulate flight data coming from the moon, so that the ground crews could rehearse the landing, much as the astronauts did in their own simulations. Had it not supposedly fallen back to Earth, All that would have been needed during the actual flight would be a repeat of one of these computer programs with a few original variations, transmitted to the satellite for rebroadcast to Houston. Scores of computers and their deceived operators on the ground would then receive prearranged information including the alleged location, altitude, and fuel consumption of the spacecraft as if it were descending to the moon's surface. If the Soviets tried to find the actual location of an Apollo crew in the hundreds of thousands of miles surrounding the earth and the moon, it would be tantamount to trying to find a rowboat in the Atlantic Ocean. The fact that the Apollo program was so departmentalized with various construction and test sites around the country meant that only a few people saw the whole picture. And for the first time ever, there was no independent press coverage of such an historical event whatever pictures and sound were distributed to the public well sure enough here we go they were then disseminated unchecked until this hour For who would realize that the unthinkable was not only possible, but absolutely true? And what are the photographs? What do they tell us? On three separate occasions, our office asked NASA's public relations department for every single picture of an astronaut on the surface of the moon, just during the maiden voyage of Apollo 11. Many duplicates were sent. In all, fewer than 20 pictures were found, including first-hand investigation on site at the agency's vaulted archives. Quite surprising, considering the historical significance of the event. These very photographs are the same ones circulated year after year on anniversary commemorations. It is estimated that in just the first 60 minutes on the moon, motivated by the tenuous nature of the circumstances, many more exposures could have been expediently taken. Also surprising is the scarcity of photographs of the mission's chief pioneer, Neil Armstrong. The greatest achievement in human history and of the man whose first step echoed around the world dawning a new age of scientific enlightenment there is only one full-body picture of him on the moon besides this ghostly reflection this one taken by an automatic camera mounted on the side of the lunar module perhaps he feared liability should the whole conundrum later become unraveled Perhaps he has forgotten that he attested to the authenticity of the event with his signature on this plaque engraved by the federal government. In fact, in the more than 30 years since the event, aside from NASA's initial press conference and the occasional brief anniversary remarks where few questions were permitted, he has never given one on-camera interview to anyone, ever. From an analytical standpoint, photographic anomalies have to be sought out with an understanding of lighting and shadows. The most straightforward is simple. When objects are lit solely by the sun, as all the scenes on the moon were said to be, after all, lighting equipment was not only impractical, it was unnecessary in bright sunlight, then all shadows, regardless of the landscape, will run parallel with one another and never intersect, as shown by this example. In these seldom seen photographs obtained from a rarely used auxiliary NASA archival site, it is clear that these scenes were lit with artificial light. These shadows, which are cast at different angles, are evidence that a second light source is being used. In addition, the sun would not cause an isolated hotspot like this, only an artificial light would. Again, intersecting shadows and another hotspot and again and again it is simply impossible for this picture to have been taken with sunlight on the moon here the shadows are shown to be as black as pitch and yet here completely in a shadow the astronaut is lit up like a christmas tree how can this be or this on the shadow side of the lunar module In this magnification of an Apollo photograph, a rock, very likely a paper mache prop because of the crease here, is categorized with the letter C. In later releases of the same picture, the letter is gone, probably airbrushed out. Here, a crosshair, which was burned directly into the image from the film plate, and thus should always appear on top of the objects in the photograph, appears behind the object in this scene, clearly revealing a composite of two pictures into one. Someone apparently forgot to create a burn crater underneath the lunar module's 10000 pounds thrust engine, despite the fact that during ground tests, there was a real concern for the vehicle falling into the hole the engine created as it descended. Here is a depiction based on the latest specifications and scientific data. In these enlargements, it looks as though the lunar module was simply placed there, not even one speck of moon dust on the landing pod. As a result, all subsequent flights had to have the same discrepancy, which was explained away by the effect of no atmosphere. And what about stars? On the moon, with no atmosphere, they must have been quite a sight to behold. Yet there is seldom any mention of them, if ever, by any of the astronauts on any of the missions. Undoubtedly, creating a mural with all the constellations properly placed in the sky would have been virtually impossible to create accurately, much less realistically. A competent amateur astronomer would have been able to call attention to the slightest error in measurement. The answer, not to talk about the stars, ever. In their post-flight press conference, it was the only question to which Neil Armstrong responded with an absence of memory. When you looked
0: up at the sky, could you actually see the stars and the solar corona in spite of the glare?
1: We were never able to see stars from the lunar surface or on the daylight side of the moon by eye without looking through the optics. Uh, I don't recall during the period of time that we were photographing the solar corona what stars we could see. I don't remember seeing any.
4: Years later, though, Michael Collins would remember seeing the elusive stars and wrote about them in Expeditions to the Moon. It seems his memory improved the older he got. Why don't stars appear in any of the photographs? Simply because the proper, mostly closed exposure setting for the camera's iris set that way to compensate for the bright sunlight on the Moon's surface completely diminished the faintness of relatively distant specks of diminutive light. This answer is true. It does not, however, explain why they never took any pictures of the stars by themselves, with an exposure setting perfect for them. While they took three automobiles to the moon, they never took a photographic telescope. Had they done so, they would have been able to see farther into the universe than had ever before been realized. If they had taken a telescope and were not actually on the moon, they would have had to concoct undiscovered galaxies that might one day prove to be non existent. The cost of the three moon rovers in 21st century currency nearly $60 million each. Though they had fewer parts than a Jeep, where was all this money going? Then there's the flag, blowing in the wind at least twice on the atmosphereless moon. We can only guess that most of the missions were staged inside for fear of possible aerial or satellite reconnaissance from an unfriendly nation. The backpacks, designed for one-sixth gravity, must have had the cooling systems removed to allow for movement without falling over. With very near and hot studio lighting, that left one hot astronaut inside. Assuming that it was the astronauts' inside, after all, their faces were always covered. The necessary mammoth amounts of air conditioning were probably responsible for the air current. Here, the editor cuts to a still shot of the flag, just as the effect becomes noticeable. Here, it is unchecked. This rare clip, attained decades ago, was never re-released with the inevitable increase in experience and scrutiny. To demonstrate one-sixth gravity, a bouncy, floaty feel to the astronauts' movements would be similarly achieved with relative simplicity. Slow motion. You are viewing the scenes as they aired more than 30 years ago. Now let's look at them with the speed doubled. It becomes discernible that they are, in fact, in Earth's gravity and are no more leaving the ground than they would on Earth. It is clear from these rarely seen color television pictures that the crew of Apollo 11 brought a high-resolution color video camera with them on their mission. Yet the only pictures broadcast live from the moon's surface were these from a low-definition black-and-white camera. In fact, the networks complained because in addition to this, they were forced to shoot the images second-generation, Offer a projection TV of the technology of 30 years ago and were not even allowed to take a direct feed, which further degraded the quality and clarity of the images. Perhaps this was precisely what NASA and the federal government had in mind. After all, it was a first, regardless of where they were. Better to open up their debut mission with fuzzy pictures and numerous blackouts rather than show too much revealing detail of a false theme that is yet unproven. And finally, the element that seals their fate. Of all the footage of Apollo 11 requested from NASA over a five-year period, one gem was discovered just before the completion of this documentary. An old reel received by mistake. It contains the raw or unedited footage of the crew of Apollo 11 Michael Collins, Edwin Aldrin Jr., and Neil Armstrong, staging part of their mission for nearly an hour in living color with exceptionally clear behind-the-scenes audio of conversations discussing the techniques used to achieve a disingenuous picture depicting the Earth at a distance in order to falsely demonstrate their far journey from it and their ability to survive passing through the Van Allen radiation belt it cannot be misconstrued that this staging was done for some other reason prior to the mission for the reel itself is slated and dated july 18th 19th and 20th 1969 the very days of the mission when they were said to be approaching and achieving lunar orbit furthermore it is apparent they are in genuine zero gravity aboard the actual spacecraft Necessary to convince the mass media of their authenticity, just not any further than Earth orbit, as you will see. In this never-before-seen or heard footage, not only is the radio conversation between the astronauts and Houston Control audible, there is a secondary, private conversation taking place between the crew and a third confidential party, prompting the astronauts with what to say, when to speak and how to effectively manipulate the camera to achieve the desired misleading effect. NASA claims that the Houston transmissions were the only ones taking place with the astronauts. Listen now as Houston Control initiates a conversation with the crew, only to find them too preoccupied with the -the behind-the-scenes trickery to respond. Moments pass, and the oversight is picked up on by the clandestine third party, who quickly prompts them with Talk. Immediately, Neil Armstrong speaks.
7: Call Apollo Eleven, Houston, Goldstone says that the TV looks great. Right. Over. Okay. Okay, Roger.
4: Again, the illusion they are attempting to create is the Earth at a distance to demonstrate their far journey from it and their ability to survive passing through the Van Allen radiation belt, Understand, too, that only about 20 seconds of this raw footage was ever broadcast to the public, and these conversations discussing their deception were believed to be private, until now. Here they discussed that these television transmissions were in fact not broadcast live as everyone believed. They were first screened and edited for playback later.
0: Uh, Roger, we just wanted to, a such a weekend. When we get to playback, we can sort of correlate what we're seeing. Thank you very much.
4: Here they discuss the fact that they have turned out the lights and have blocked out sunlight from entering the spacecraft through the other windows as to not cause any reflected light to fall onto the spacecraft's wall in the foreground.
7: Okay, very good. Well, we shut out the sun coming in somewhere out of the, the spacecraft, so uh, it's looking through a... Uh, to the uh, number one window on Earth. any uh, reflected light.
4: The reason this was done is so that the truth of the matter would not be revealed. It is this. Though the federal government would have you believe that this is a view of Earth from a distance out of the spacecraft's window as it nears the moon, it is not. What they have ingeniously done is placed the camera at the back of the spacecraft and centered the lens on a circular window in the foreground outside of which it is completely filled with the earth in low orbit the circumference of the window then appears to be the diameter of the earth at a distance with the darkened walls of the spacecraft appearing to be the blackness of space around it that is why they wanted the interior dark and blocked out the sun from entering through the other windows here you can see the extruded window probably two inches thick at the bottom This is because the earth shine is coming in at a downward angle. It also causes the earth to appear to be an irregularly shaped circle, for you are seeing the outside of the window at the bottom, and the inside of the window at the top, which together form two different sized halves of a circle. Subsequently, this take was never used. As they perfected the shot, A crescent-shaped piece of black material was inset slightly into the window to create the illusion of the Earth's Terminator line dividing night and day. It is uncannily convincing. During this segment, intended to be edited and played back later for the worldwide television audience, dated July 18, 1969, Neil Armstrong condemns himself as he states that he is 130,000 miles out or halfway to the moon, as the NASA flight log also states on this date,
7: when he is, in
4: reality, in low-Earth orbit of a few hundred miles.
7: Roger, Apollo 11. Calling in from about
6: 137
4: miles out. Here, during another segment, also intended to air after review, Neil Armstrong falsely explains to the viewers how the shot is attained by putting the camera's lens to the window's glass, as it would have to be if they were the claimed distance away from the Earth.
1: We only have one uh, window that uh, has a view of the Earth, and
7: it's filled up with a TV camera.
4: If the window was completely filled up with a TV camera, as he stated, then an astronaut's arm would not be able to get between the camera and the window, as it obviously does here in this outtake.
7: South America becomes invisible, beyond the Terminator
4: or in shadow. You can also notice how the astronaut operating the camera reacted to the mistake by attempting to pan away from it. the white
7: across the Earth.
4: This is a segment that they believed wasn't even being recorded, much less suitable for broadcast, for the lens was being zoomed out and the scene was being changed to that of an interior of the astronauts at work. And apparently the stop button popped back up on the recorder without notice. Here is the diffused work light that they used to see camera controls, but not throw light onto the spacecraft's wall. Here they remove part of the crescent insert. finally the iris is opened up and you can see the real location of the camera and the very bright and near earth out the window here is the slate for the 19th of july and the same shot of trickery on the 19th of july and then the 20th and the same misleading shot on the 20th later that evening they were said to be walking on the moon How can this be when they were in Earth orbit only nine hours earlier, and the moon is some three days' journey away? Furthermore, if they genuinely went to the moon, why would they be faking any part of it? Why this trickery with the window? By faking being halfway to the moon, it becomes apparent that they did so because they could not even go halfway. It thus confirms that the stumbling block to their success was the lethal radiation of the Van Allen Radiation belt. Since the same equipment was used on the subsequent missions in the 40 months that followed, none of them could have gone to the moon. They only increased their proficiency at staging them. When some TV viewers of the second manned mission to the moon telephoned the networks, complaining that reruns of I Love Lucy were being interrupted, it became clear that for the taxpayers, once was enough. But it wasn't enough for the government and contractors. Billions of dollars of pure profit went with each return. How coincidental that the following mission would have the element of life and death jeopardy. Apollo 13. Now the public would take going to the moon more seriously and be reconnected with the drama. We now realize that perhaps the reason Neil Armstrong has never given an on-camera interview is because he doesn't want to lie anymore. What threats may have been made upon such honorable men or their families to possess their reluctant cooperation and later ill feelings towards perpetuating this still darkened hour in American history? NASA's highest-ranking official, James Webb, resigned without explanation just days before the first Apollo mission. Why? When he was on the threshold of achieving the greatest accomplishment of his career. All three Apollo 11 astronauts also resigned shortly after their return. On the 25th anniversary of the event in 1994, Neil Armstrong made a rare public appearance and held back tears as he spoke these brief cryptic remarks before the next generation of taxpayers as they toured the White House.
1: Today we have with us uh, a group of students among America's best. To you, we say, we've only completed a beginning. We leave you much that is undone. There are great ideas undiscovered. Breakthrough is available to those who can remove one of truth's protected layers.
7: He is that layer. Perhaps someday soon, with the
4: uncovering of this footage and its meaning, the true patriots of America will rise up or come forward and free the citizens and themselves from the sin that so easily entangles, and from a federal government that needs to have the gangrene cut off. Even if the government's destruction would come from the truth, then it is not worthy to stand, and its betterment would inevitably follow. All of us are mortal. All of us will die. Perhaps the seeking of a clear conscience before that hour will motivate the truth into the light. Perhaps as citizens, we should offer amnesty for this and other crimes of history, for facts from those involved, before the truth perishes with them. Why must we wait until the year 2017 to open the Kennedy assassination file? Perhaps they will not even be opened then, for the law that reluctantly stipulates their release says so with this clause. Quote, with the exception of documents certified for continued postponement by the President. Whoever believes the citizens to be too immature for the truth are too immature for power. The truth will always
7: set us free. (laughs) news. <laughs>
0: In the Nixon administration, between the years 1969 and 1972, 12 astronauts walked on the surface of the moon and returned safely to Earth. This event was even commemorated on two United States coins, the Susan B. Anthony dollar, which was minted from 1979 to 1981, and then again in 1999, and the Eisenhower dollar, which was minted from 1971 to 1978. The reverse sides of both of these coins were based on the Apollo 11 insignia and show an eagle landing on the moon with the Earth in the background.
6: Okay, engine stop. We copy you down, eagle. is uh, Tranquility Base here. The eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot.
0: The belief that men actually walked on the moon is shared by the vast majority of the world's population. There are no high-profile scientists, astronauts, or officials that have openly expressed any doubt as to the reality of this alleged accomplishment. The only exception to this is former United States President William Jefferson Clinton. In his autobiography, My Life, published in 2004, he states on page 156, Just a month before, Apollo 11 astronauts Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong had left their colleague Michael Collins aboard Spaceship Columbia and walked on the moon, beating by five months President Kennedy's goal of putting a man on the moon before the decade was out. The old carpenter asked me if I really believed it had happened. I said, sure, I saw it on television. He disagreed. He said that he didn't believe it for a minute, that them television fellers could make things look real that weren't. Back then, I thought he was a crank. During my eight years in Washington, I saw some things on TV that made me wonder if he wasn't ahead of his time. To simplify, what Clinton says is that a gentleman expressed doubt in the Apollo claims, and he wonders whether that gentleman was correct. Now, exactly what is a former two-term United States president doing, wondering about the authenticity of the greatest technological achievement in the history of mankind? an event that had marked the legacy of his own boyhood hero, JFK. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are
7: easy, but because they are hard.
0: Obviously, he has some reason to believe that the moon landings were not authentic. If a former U.S. president is wondering about the authenticity of the claim, does it not make sense that you should wonder too? One can imagine why a former president would not want to come right out and blow the whistle by unequivocally stating his true beliefs. But he did, probably for the sake of his legacy, want to have it recorded that he did subtly flag the issue for those paying attention, and he flagged it by using the old carpenter acquaintance to get his point across. Regardless of precisely how much time Mr. Clinton actually spends wondering about this, a closer examination of the claim reveals that to have performed such a feat in 1969, completely contradicts the evidence, and otherwise, offends
7: common sense. Four days, boys, we armed arm it today, I'm going to get
6: the pro. Ninety-nine, proceeded, three, two, one, <laughs> ignition. Right our way, Houston. Yeah. Thanks, you're good. Thanks, <laughs> guys.
0: The last alleged mission to the moon was Apollo 17, which NASA says took place in December of 1972. Since then, absolutely no country claims to have sent astronauts or even animals more than 400 miles above the surface of the Earth. In recent years, space shuttle astronauts completed a trip wherein they attained a maximum altitude of 365 miles. (laughs)
7: I say, a i of I I
0: Normally, the space shuttle orbits at an altitude of approximately 200 miles from the Earth, the same orbit altitude of the International Space Station. Now, you might be asking, why exactly is this maximum distance from Earth relevant to our discussion? Well, let's put it this way. The moon is 240,000 miles away from the Earth. The diameter of the Earth is 8,000 miles. This puts the moon at about 30 Earth diameters away. In relation to the space shuttle's orbit on this scale, it has never traveled more than one half of one inch away from the Earth's surface.
6: Six. Five. Three main engines up and burning. Two one and left off just getting into orbit is no small feat
0: as is illustrated by the fact that in all of recorded history only 3 countries the United States China and Russia have been able to put a human just into orbit and never being more than 400 miles from earth the explanation for this has always been that except for these 3 countries every other country in the world has been too cheap and lazy to venture into just earth orbit In reality, the reason has to do with the difficulty in accomplishing this. This, most of all, drives home the point that NASA's claim of sending men on a 240,000-mile trip in 1969, some 600 times further than they can send men today, is just not plausible. One reason the space shuttle has not been sent beyond 400 miles into space has to do with the Earth's magnetism. The core of the Earth is molten iron. As it slowly swirls around, it generates a powerful magnetic field surrounding the Earth. These fields cause the formation of two radiation belts around the Earth, called the Van Allen Radiation Belts. They are made of charged particles and are named after James Van Allen, who was in charge of the Geiger counters installed on the Explorer 1 satellite, which discovered the belts in 1958. Belts are formed by trapped charged particles. The magnetic field traps these particles that originate from the sun. They then spiral around the lines of the Earth's magnetic field, going back and forth between magnetic poles. As pointed out by Ralph Rene, author of NASA Mooned America, Dr. James Van Allen published an article in the March 1959 issue of Scientific American that described the danger in traveling through these belts. In this article, entitled Radiation Belts Around the Earth, on page 47 of this issue, Van Allen states Our measurements show that the maximum radiation level as of 1958 is equivalent to between 10 and 100 RENT GENs per hour, depending on the still undetermined proportion of protons to electrons. Since a human being exposed for two days to even 10 RENT GENs would have only an even chance of survival, the radiation belts, obviously, present an obstacle to space flight. If anyone ever really does go through these belts, it will become apparent just how lethal they really are to humans. Other than the alleged Apollo trips, all other manned spacecraft have stayed below the belts. These belts do not officially begin until an altitude of 1,000 miles is reached. But when one space shuttle crew was brave enough to go nearly 400 miles above the Earth, they started to experience some unusual effects. They reported seeing shooting stars, which were a result of the radiation hitting the retinas of their eyes.
7: And if I'd have 20 feet behind where I landed, I'd have landed right back of that crater.
0: <laughs> when interviewed, Alan Bean of Apollo twelve initially stated that he had not gone through the belts and did not observe any effects caused by them, any ill effects from the Van Allen radiation belt? No. Now I'm not sure we went far enough out to to encounter the Van Allen radiation belt. Maybe we did. When it was pointed out that the flight pattern took him through the belts, he changed his story. The belts are 1,000 miles to 25,000 miles above the Earth. Then we went right out through them. No effects on your cells. You mm-hmm. didn't even know it. I don't think anybody, well, maybe somebody said you went through the radiation belt. But we didn't feel it inside, and we didn't get any, you know, added radiation. The shuttle went to 365 miles a few years ago. Uh-huh. Because I worked in news, uh-huh. I saw CNN. They said that the radiation belts surrounding Earth
1: are more dangerous than previously believed because the astronauts saw shooting stars with their eyes closed. Just when they got within the radiation belt, we saw shooting stars, but they're not shooting stars from with your eyes closed.
2: Although they look like it. Uh, If you're out in space beyond the Van Allen belt, and probably within the Van Allen belt, and close your eyes and just pay attention, you don't notice it unless you pay attention then all of a sudden you'll see a little flash like a shooting star, except it's like that. There goes one this way. Then one just blossoms. And then not that fast. Maybe you wait three minutes or two minutes and one goes whoosh. And what's happening is cosmic rays are hitting the uh, back of your eye and exciting those sensors in the back of your eye. So that's what you see. And they got high enough apparently to
1: close My guess is in Earth orbit, if you closed your eyes and just
0: paid attention
6: that you would see
0: them. The first time they were seen was when they went to three hundred and sixty-five miles. Yes. Six hundred and fifty miles below or away from the radiation. Yes, yeah, see it is below. I guess if they just did it tonight.
1: But see, if you're not if you're just going to sleep or closing your eyes or it's dark,
0: you don't notice them. But if you'll close your eyes and pay attention, which we had an experiment to do by the way, then you see them whistling by, not on our mission, by the way, they hadn't been discovered yet. Now, I saw them one day on the moon. It wasn't dark, and it was kind of dark, and I saw this flash of light, and it looked like it was on the moon, but really it wasn't. It was a flash of light in my eye. Some scientists argue that the trip through the belts was so brief that is only a few hours that the radiation would not have had a negative effect on the astronauts. But the question remains. If these belts are not dangerous, why in the last 30 years has absolutely no country put even a monkey past these belts? The standard excuse is that no one has wanted to spend the money to do so. But to write off every advanced country in the world as too stingy and incompetent in over a third of a century to explore further than 400 miles from Earth really is bit too much to fathom. It is more likely that we simply do not have the technology to go further at this time. Try to imagine the flight pattern of the Apollo moon missions. NASA says that three astronauts took off in a multi-stage rocket, and then three days later were in lunar orbit some 60 miles above the moon's surface, going about 4,000 miles per hour, or a little over Mach 6. Then, the spacecraft separated into two modules. One astronaut stayed in lunar orbit in the CSM. The other two flew down to the surface of the moon in the lunar module.
6: Contact. And stop. Okay, here's the charger
0: that has landed. Back and the first there. question that immediately comes to mind is how they were able to design a craft on Earth that would perform so well under quite different conditions on the moon, namely in a vacuum and in one-sixth gravity without killing anyone. The lunar landing research vehicle used to train the astronauts for a landing had a jet engine, which of course would never have worked out in the back of space. NASA's answer to this is that the simulator provided five-sixths, or eighty-three percent, of the propulsion to simulate the amount of thrust that the rocket engine would need to lift the craft while flying down to the surface of the moon. Be using 83% of Earth's propulsion requirement to adjust for an environment with only 17 percent of the Earth's gravity? Explanations such as this certainly drive home the point that no matter how convoluted, they will always have a rationalization for everything. After supposedly landing on the moon during Apollo 17, two astronauts allegedly spent three days there. During this time, they were either in a small capsule walking on the surface in their air-conditioned spacesuits or riding around in the $60 million lunar rover. The lunar surface temperature in the sun should be around 135 degrees today. Uh, in the shade, the temperature would again be about uh, minus 100 to minus 150 degrees Fahrenheit. That would be in the shadow of the lunar module. If the LEM didn't have climate control would it, and had air in it, would it be hot or cold without the climate control? If you just took a, a lunar module, and it, well, let's take the climate control. It fails. All
1: right, what happens then? You've got air in setting there. It's, uh, it's uh, 70 degrees.
0: If the lunar module is setting in the sun, which it always is, then slowly but
6: surely, that temperature inside is going to go up to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Now you ain't going to make it because you're going to cook long before that.
1: What
0: you Power know? the air conditioning. Uh, what power the air? Batteries. You had a,
2: a number of big batteries in the lunar module. They powered pumps, they powered the air conditioning,
0: they powered the communication system, and that's the reason we were only able to stay on the moon 33 hours. Later on, we got a little better batteries, more batteries, and we could stay longer. Now let's examine some problems with the astronauts' time on the moon's surface. In the sunlit areas, the temperature on the surface of the moon is 250 degrees Fahrenheit. If the sunlight struck the astronauts' suits or the surface of the moon, they would heat up very quickly. Considering that they always landed on the daylight side of the moon, the energy from the sun would be radiated directly at them, and additionally, the heat would be collected and radiated by the moon itself. Put simply, the astronauts had no energy source that would have enabled them to reject the sun's intense heat. The moon has no atmosphere. It has a vacuum. Conduction and convection could not practically be used for cooling. The heat would have had to have been radiated away.
6: I know, Bob. I
0: know. They carried no energy source potent enough to re radiate this oh, heat away. What powered the, power the air conditioner?
2: Uh, what powered the air batteries? You had a, a number of big batteries in the
0: lunar module. Alan Bean's explanation of using batteries is not convincing. Efforts to explain successful functioning of the spacesuits amount to elaborate double talk.
6: Fantastic, sports fan.
0: After allegedly spending three days on the surface, the two astronauts blasted off, went up 69 miles, somehow docked with the command module traveling at a speed of over 4,000 miles per hour, and then they all flew back to Earth for a round trip of 480,000 miles. Doesn't this seem a bit beyond 1969 technology? How can this be explained as anything other than an accomplishment beyond belief? would it serve to contrive such an elaborate hoax? Let's take a brief look at the events leading up to the American Space Race. After the Russians thoroughly spooked America in 1957 with the launching of Sputnik, citizens were in fear that the USSR would soon be able to drop an atomic bomb on the United States from orbit. What could be done to avert such a disaster? And to what lengths would the United States government go to ensure national security?
7: The Soviet Union has launched a second Earth satellite.
5: Get the American people alarmed that a foreign country, especially an enemy country, can do this. It, we fear this.
6: Man had his first great success in space when the Russians pushed a man across the threshold. He was Yuri Gagarin, the astronaut the Russians lionized as the first to orbit the Earth. It was the propaganda coup of the year. After the Russian flight, U.S. plans were accelerated. Commander Alan B. Shepard was sent into suborbital flight. Unlike the Russian venture, this took place in the white-hot glare of worldwide publicity. Mercury capsule his right on course, and the commander took over the controls to become the first man to die in a space planet. As the tension increasingly rose between the world's two
0: dominant post-war powers, the space race went into high gear, with Kennedy promising in 1961 to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade.
6: We
7: choose to
6: go to the moon! We choose to go to the moon! We choose to go to the
7: moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
0: Of course, the United States would spare no expense to hold off an attack from space by the USSR. What countermeasures were at their disposal? Could they not simply stage a moon landing as an elaborate form of propaganda against Russia while emboldening U.S. morale?
2: High in the volcanic mountains of Arizona, a little piece of the moon was recreated on Earth. This field of craters seen from the air precisely matches a view of the sea of tranquility on the moon.
0: It is common in the history of warfare to intimidate your foe by means of deception. For example, During World War II, the Allies placed inflatable tanks on the battlefield to make the enemy think they were confronting a more formidable foe. One could say that the Apollo Bluff worked, as there never was a nuclear war. Yet no one has ever come forward and actually admitted to this deception long after the Cold War hostilities ceased. I don't know what you say. I went to the moon and back, and everyone that's a scientist knows it. Now, if you want
6: to not believe it, it's okay, you know? It's okay. It's a better story. It ju- it's just happens to be a lie, that's
0: all. I, I, I probably
1: would have done with the other six, though, because I'm just as stubborn as anybody else. I said, I don't need to prove to you that I went to the moon. I know I went. Well,. I know for a fact you didn't walk on the moon. That's fine, That's what,
0: it's okay if you know it. Do so you understand that? <laughs> you can
6: have
7: anything
0: you want. That's what's wonderful about this country. You can believe anything you want. And it's okay with me. The most common question asked is how so many people could have been kept quiet about it. One wonders, too, why the astronauts would go along with such an elaborate hoax. To answer this question, we must all return to World War II Germany. Under Adolf Hitler's leadership, a Nazi war criminal named Werner von Braun built thousands of V2 rockets through slave labor that were launched against London.
6: Once the rockets are up, who cares where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner. Some have harsh words for this man of renown, but some think our attitude should be one of gratitude, like the widows and cripples in old London town, who owe their large pensions to
0: Werner von Braun. After the war, the Soviets and the Americans divided up the rocket technology. The Americans brought home over (laughs) 20 propulsion specialists, including their leading rocket scientist, von Braun
6: rather that he's apolitical.
0: Since most people wanted to come live in America, the Soviet Union was given most of the hardware, which, to a large degree, contributed to their victory with Sputnik. In German or English, I know how
6: to count down. And I'm learning Chinese, says Bernard von Braun in
0: 1961, Nazi rocket scientists, such as von Brown, maintained a close relationship with President John F. Kennedy as he moved to fulfill his promise to land Americans on the moon before the end of 1969. Yet today, NASA says it will be 2018 before we go back to the moon, despite having supposedly been there over 35 years ago.
1: It is time for America to take the next steps. Today I announce a new plan to explore space and extend a human presence across our solar system.
6: We will begin the effort quickly, using existing programs and personnel. We will make steady progress,
0: one mission, one voyage, one landing
6: at a time.
1: Our third goal is to return to the moon
6: by 2020 as the launching point for missions beyond. Beginning no later than 2008, we will send a series of robotic missions to the lunar surface to research and prepare for future human exploration. Using the Crew Exploration Vehicle, we will undertake extended human missions to the moon as early as 2015, with the goal of living
0: and working there for increasingly extended periods of time. Returning, to- Would we ever consider it reasonable if there were a 40-year span between the first and second trips across the Atlantic Ocean? Why such a late date? In 1953, Von Brown wrote a book on how to get to the moon, titled Conquest of the Moon. On page 14 of his book, he states, It is commonly believed that man will fly directly from the earth to the moon, but to do this, we would require a vehicle of such gigantic proportions that it would prove an economic impossibility. It would have to develop sufficient speed to penetrate the atmosphere and overcome the Earth's gravity, and, having traveled all the way to the moon, it must still have enough fuel to land safely and make the return trip to Earth. Furthermore, in order to give the expedition a margin of safety, we would not use one ship alone, but a minimum of three. Calculations have been carefully worked out on the type of vehicle we would need for the nonstop flight from the Earth to the moon in return. The figures speak for themselves. Each rocket ship would be taller than New York's Empire State Building, 1,250 feet, and weigh about ten times the tonnage of the Queen Mary, or some 800,000 tons. The Apollo program's three-stage Saturn V was only 3,000 tons. The Saturn V was 266 times smaller than it had to be.
7: certain that the way to get to
0: the moon would first require that a space station be built, with the rocket parts being ferried there for final construction.
6: Our first goal is to complete the International Space Station by 2010. We will finish what we have started.
1: We will meet our obligations to our 15 international partners on this project
6: will focus our future research aboard the station on the long-term effects of space travel on human biology. Research on board the station and here on Earth will help us better
1: understand and overcome the obstacles that limit exploration.
6: Through these
0: efforts we will develop the skills and techniques necessary to sustain further space exploration. The constructed vehicle would then launch from the Earth's orbit rather than its surface. The Saturn V used only three fuels, liquid oxygen and kerosene in the first stage and liquid oxygen and hydrogen in the upper stages. No exotic new fuels were invented to bring down the fuel requirement. Also, the space shuttle has 30% less mass at liftoff than did the Saturn V.
7: We have ignition and liftoff of Atlantis and the Galileo spacecraft bound for Jupiter
0: yet has never attempted to travel beyond the 400-mile altitude. With Kennedy's promise, the space race was in full swing, yet it became apparent in the mid-60s that there was absolutely no way anything of the sort was going to happen.
6: Following in Commander Shepard's star-studded footsteps came Captain Virgil Grissom. Everything is a okay until the heartbreaking finale. As the captain prepares to leave the capsule, explosive bolts from the escape hatch let go, and the mercury is lost. However, the moon gets closer.
0: The leading astronaut of the day, Gus Grissom, was slated to be the first man to walk on the moon. He was an outspoken man with the highest level of integrity. There was no way he would lie for anyone. He was also an outspoken critic of the dilapidated state of the moon program. Just before he died, he hung a lemon on the capsule and held a press conference in which he pointed out the sad state of the program. On the morning he died, upon having difficulty communicating from the capsule, he angrily asked,
7: hey, get we can't three, In 1967,
0: during a plug-out test in which no engines were even ignited, They had him in a sealed capsule and pressurized it with 100% pure oxygen. A fire erupted and all three astronauts perished. After this grisly incident, no other astronaut dared to criticize the program. And after all these years of lying and making their livings off the fame, none chooses to wreck this acclaimed success for the others by telling the truth. There is strong reason to doubt the fire was accidental. Page 81 of the Apollo 1 Accident Investigation Report, issued by the U.S. Congress, reveals that prior to the fire, NASA, by their own admission, were very well aware of the respective fires at the Johnsville Navy Air Station and Brooks Air Force Base. The fires in question, as pointed out by author Ralph Rene, were a result of sparks and even static electricity igniting the pure oxygen environment. In spite of these past fatalities NASA used a 100% oxygen atmosphere In the Apollo 1 spacecraft Arguing that they had done it previously On the Gemini program Of course they had However, Gemini had a cabin pressure Of only 3 pounds per square inch the pure oxygen equivalent to the 14.7 pounds of nitrogen and oxygen at sea level. All previous aviation flash fires had been only slightly higher than Gemini's cabin pressure. Apollo 1's cabin pressure was more than five times higher. NASA was aware of the dangers, but they went ahead and sealed three of their astronauts inside a highly volatile capsule that had already been packed full of combustible and highly toxic materials. Most of which were untested and had not been given their seal of approval before they were installed. The technicians on Pad thirty four needed at least five minutes to open the command capsule's door. The astronauts had a mere fifteen seconds before the fire consumed their cabin.
7: Fire. You're fired,
0: Additionally, in nineteen ninety-nine, when Grissom's son Scott was granted access to his father's spacecraft. He uncovered evidence that a metal plate had been shoved behind the dashboard to deliberately trigger a spark. Keep in mind that many of these scientists were war criminals imported from Hitler's Germany. One should not be surprised that such horrors could occur when one considers that these Nazis helped perpetuate the cruelest, most brutal atrocity that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. Also, the behavior of the astronauts upon their return to Earth is highly suspicious. Armstrong, Collins, and Aldrin were made to sit and brief the press for nearly an hour and a half. At times, all three men exhibited a type of disinterest or absconding emotion, not to mention outright lying. The most obvious error was in an answer given by Collins. The astronauts were asked if they could see stars from the surface of the moon. Armstrong answered...
7: I don't recall. Then
0: Collins, in an attempt to cover for Neil's mistake and remembering his equal communal experience of sharing the capsule in Earth orbit for eight days with his crewmates blurted out, I don't remember seeing any.
6: I have two brief questions I'd like to ask, if I may. When you were carrying out that incredible moonwalk, did you find that the surface was equally firm anywhere, or were there harder and softer spots that you could detect? And secondly, when you looked up at the sky, could you actually
0: see the stars and the solar corona in spite of the glare?
1: The uh, first part of your question, the the surface did vary
2: in its thickness of penetrate. one must be quite cautious in, in moving around
1: in this rough terrain. We were never able to see stars from the lunar surface or on the daylight side of the moon by eye without looking through the optics. Uh, I don't recall during the period of time that we were photographing the Sona Curl or what uh, what stars we could see. I don't remember seeing any. We were never able to see stars from the lunar surface or on the daylight side of the moon by eye without looking through the optics. Uh, I don't recall during the period of time that we were photographing the Zona Corolla what, uh, what stars we could
0: see. I don't remember seeing any. Transcripts published later attributed his remark to Aldrin, who was supposed to have been there on the surface. This was done, no doubt, to throw off most who had only had an altered transcript and not a film copy of the entire press conference.
2: I know there's uh, a lot of scientists from uh, a number of countries standing by to see the lunar
0: samples, and uh, we thought you'd be interested in seeing that they really are here. Um, what about the moon rocks, the laser reflector disks, and the photographs of the astronauts on the moon? The Apollo samples are not rocks gathered during moonwalks. They are, in fact, meteorites that were specifically gathered on Earth by von Braun himself before the moon landing ever took place.
7: After Kennedy
0: declared we would land on the moon by the end of the decade, the race to the moon was in full force. So why would von Braun, who was supposed to be working feverishly on the Saturn V rocket, need to go to Antarctica? In the May 1967 Popular Science article entitled. A Spaceman's Look at Antarctica, on page 114 to 116, on Braun states, It may well be smart to test lunar vehicles or surface drills in Antarctica before taking them to the moon. This was never done. He did, however, meet up with a penguin. In reality, the real reason for the trip was to gather meteorites that could be passed off as moon rocks. Some meteorites that actually originated from the moon to be found on Earth as they can be expelled from the moon during meteor crashes. After von Braun found them, the outer surfaces were probably blasted with an abrasive in a ceramics lab to hide the fact that they had fallen through the Earth's atmosphere. After the conclusion of the Apollo missions, some Apollo astronauts made money by taking tourists down to Antarctica to gather meteorites. Due to the contrast with the landscape, meteorites are easier to spot there. evidence the astronauts left behind and not what they brought back that may offer the clinching proof. Each successful moon mission set up a range of experiments. More than 30 years after Apollo 11, one of them continues to operate, the Lunar Laser Ranger. There were two
2: major experiments. One was a a, a series of corner reflectors to reflect laser beams from the Earth sent to the moon that then, because of the geometry of these corner reflectors, would send the beam back in exactly the direction that it came from.
0: High up in the Davis Mountain Range, the McDonald Observatory in Texas continues to gather information from the experiment.
6: In 33 years,
2: no no one has showed up. No one has come and and talked to us. Jerry Wyatt would
0: welcome a visit from the conspiracy theorist. Since 1969, his team has been firing a laser beam at the experiment an average of 240 times a
7: year.
2: And, of course, at at Apollo 11 site is where uh, the United States placed its first lunar retro package. So we we fire a laser at this spot and two others, uh, three others, on the moon. Now we turn the laser on, and in a few seconds you'll see the, the splash. The laser hits the reflector on the moon's surface and bounces back as a series of pulses invisible to the human eye. By measuring the time it takes for each laser pulse to return, scientists gather key information about the Earth's position in the solar system. That's not like coming from the moon. The splash you see is, is light coming from uh, the end of our own telescope. That's the first spot where a man walked on the moon. Our search for the truth has revealed the
0: definitive answer. Maybe that's why conspiracy theorists have so little to say on this subject. The December 1966 issue of National Geographic explains why no such reflectors are needed to bounce signals off the moon. This is detailed in The Laser's Bright Magic by Thomas Malloy. On page 876, he states, Four years ago, a ruby laser considerably smaller than those now available shot a series of pulses at the moon 240,000 miles away. The beams illuminated a spot less than two miles in diameter and were reflected back to Earth with enough strength to be measured by ultra-sensitive electronic equipment. It should also be noted that many types of signals can be bounced off the moon, even without such reflectors. In the 1950s, moon bounce was used to communicate around the curvature of the Earth. That is, if you were in the military and wanted to talk to someone in Hawaii from California, you would bounce your conversation off of the moon. The photographs also fail under critical analysis. There are flags waving in the wind, even though the moon exists in a vacuum. And astronauts that cannot jump more than six inches high on the first mission, when the gravity is only one-sixth that of Earth's. But just the sheer perfection of the setups and appearances of the photos is enough to make you wonder whether they were shot in a studio. There is no fog on the film from immense temperature variation, no discoloration from radiation, no lightning streaks from micrometeoroids passing by. Other anomalies include photos that seem to be taken using artificial light. Apollo researcher David Percy traveled to Sweden to talk to Jan Lundberg, the man that managed the group in charge of supplying NASA with the advanced cameras used to take photographs on the moon. Hasselblad in Sweden was the NASA-appointed manufacturer of a camera capable of functioning on the lunar surface, and Jan Lindbergh was the project engineer responsible for building the camera. Originally, NASA made all the
2: uh, alterations themselves. Then they presented what they had done to us and asked, can you do this? And we
0: said, yes, we can, and we can do it better. So what does Hasselblad have to say about this classic Aldrin picture? Does it look to Jan Lundberg as though the subject was lit? Yes, it, it seems like he's standing in the spotlight.
2: <laughs> and I can't explain that. Um, but that escapes me. Why? So um,
0: maybe you have to find when and ask it. And how exactly did they pan the camera up to film the liftoff of the ascent module on Apollo 17? How do you think we took the pictures of
6: the liftoff on Apollo 17 with a television camera? How do you think we missed them on Apollo 16? Because of the, the time delay, by the time the guy sent the signal,
1: it was gone and the camera couldn't track fast enough. So on 17, he sent the signal a second and a half, or three quarters of a second earlier, so that the camera got the signal and we were, how do you think that happened?
6: I've got a book telling me I didn't go to the moon. That's, that's it, okay? There's a book there. went all, you can't see stars in the daytime and the shadows in a I, I don't give a
0: damn about all that. Remember, too, while the thousands of NASA employees did help them achieve Earth orbit, beyond that, all information fed to the press and public was from the government, and there was
6: no independent reporting.
0: That's one small step for man, one
3: giant leap for mankind.
0: But is there a smoking gun? Yes, there is. It has to do with the camera shots of the earth.
7: Let's call Apollo 11. Houston, Goldstone says that the TV looks great. Over. Okay, enter you copy, over.
0: Although it is likely that the astronauts were on the Saturn V rocket when it took off, it seems that they stayed in low-Earth orbit for the duration of their missions. This provided them with the zero-gravity filming environment, which would be what one would expect on a trip to the moon. They may also have done dives in the KC-135 to get the zero-gravity shots. Yet there is one segment that clearly shows the -the behind-the-scenes chicanery that is going on. At one point, the crew says they are 130,000 miles out, or just halfway to the moon. Uh,
7: Roger, Houston, Apollo
0: 11. Calling in from about 130,000 miles out. And we'll zoom our camera in slowly. They say that they have the camera pointing toward the only window that is facing the Earth. Unfortunately, we only have one uh, window that has uh, a view of the Earth and it's filled up with a TV camera so uh, your view now is probably better than ours is. Yet you see something come between the camera and the Earth. South America becomes invisible just beyond the Terminator or inside the shadow. They are caught in a lie right there. Had the camera been in the window as they stated then nothing should be coming between the camera and the Earth. Beyond the Earth. We should not see any light in the upper left corner of the screen either. <laughs> of course, whenever the Earth was clearly seen vanishing behind the window, the view of the Earth was always from a cutaway shot, in which no astronauts were present. Well, oh, Alright, Rock,
1: right, wake up.
0: In this circumstance, it was probably a globe on the outside of a mock command capsule in a studio environment. But in this other video, it is easy to see how a different method of trick photography was used. They had placed a transparency over the window to make the window look like the Earth. You can actually see a corner of this transparency pulled away from the window when the lights come on. can quite make out who That's uh, big Mike Collins there. Well, you got a little bit of, yeah, uh, hello there, sports fans. You got a little bit of me, but Neil's in the center couch, and Buzz is doing the
7: camera work. Just, uh, uh, Roger, uh, it's uh, a little dark uh, now, Uh Maybe a, a bigger head stop might help. This is, what is this? Oh, this is a shot from
0: 130,000 miles out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's from approaching, or it's from approaching the moon, looking back at the Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen this on a couple of flights. Is this is something that you've got, although this is from Apollo 11, that you shoot a shot of the Earth like this. Mm-hmm. So you had a PD
1: camera in the spacecraft. That's correct. And this is, I
0: guess, the Earth. Zoomed in at a distance. Yep. So you get a shot a little bit halfway to the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
1: kind of. I guess the cloud cover looks yeah, like yeah. Now, what is that right there? Oh, sure. There's like an arm. It looks like hair on an arm getting in front of the window. Maybe yeah, somebody Somebody got the arm in front of it. I thought
0: that was the arm of God. <laughs> <It went laughs> right. across the earth. I couldn't quite okay. figure that out. I suspect out. that was the edge of the window, or the mic that they were shooting at.
1: What did the Earth look like from a great distance? About there is, like again, 130,000 miles out. About like that. So it's pretty small okay. at the distance of the moon? Yes, but I think the better images are the Hasselblad images that have been taken on every flight and are the most published pictures in the history of the world. What is that in the top left? That's the
7: Earth. Is that like
1: another no. spacecraft? Oh, no, no, no. I have no idea what that is. It's uh, an aberration of some sort. Oh, those are shadows, I think. Or reflection, probably reflection. So are just reflecting. that right again. so me get another
6: shot of it. But if you're yeah. going to press me on this, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because I won't pursue this. All of this attempt to say the Apollo program to faith is just sheer nonsense. And you can talk until hell freezes over, and you're wrong. Okay. Well, but you, I don't uh, want to take you what? on this line.
1: Okay, turn off the camera. Your interview is done. i will give you all the time. i gonna give you.
6: Good to meet you. I don't it. it's a pleasure. Understand. Please get your ass out of my house. Okay. And you came here under
1: false pretenses, and I think you're an asshole. Well and if you continue
0: this and if you press it, I will personally take you to court. I, I hope that you do. I uh, invite you to. I'm gonna give you my card so you can arrange that. And I'm encouraging you to you're arrange right. You're frankly not worth it. No, no, I,
1: I we have you on the record saying you'll take me to court, I hope you do. Because we have proof that we prove
0: it in a court of law that Apollo 11 didn't go to the moon. <laughs> and I think it's something that you should see. It. I don't say that lightly, believe me. I don't see it lightly. Some You're be right joking, to... sir, People can have fun and maybe do that if they feel like they want to have a little fun on a trip to the moon. That's an okay, procedure. we're heading out. Doing that is against moral ethics. Lying about going to the moon is a satanic lie hey, of gigantic importance. I don't get people, but you're going to be on the deck unless you
6: go get it deck. I
7: understand. You think i to. Shoot
6: them out
0: we, get out of ah, we have a video camera running if you want to do it. All right? right that would be great footage for us. See you later.
3: Not good. Looks like it uh cut off on us again. Let's see if he bounces back. Come on. I don't know but there we go.
7: Have a watch talking you believe in believe we've been visited by Why do you want to believe this? I know for, I know for a fact it hasn't been alive. No this, this is the
0: window. You're in a state that's the common clock at the belt from tracking station. We
6: well, are talking to the wrong guy. Why don't we talk to the administrator in that We're passengers. We're, we're guys calling on a flight. We're I, know not for, a, I know
0: for a fact. We really like to you're the one who said you walked in the moon when you didn't. Calling a kettle black if you ever thought of saying Did I misrepresented you? my way Away no. from me! You're a coward and a liar and a thief. Luz Aldrin's violent reaction is not surprising, considering the hundreds of thousands of dollars he has made by defrauding people, selling his personal memorabilia. According to the winter 2008 issue of Heritage Magazine, in September of 2007, Aldrin sold the following items, which he claimed were flown to the moon. A medallion for $15,535. A silver dollar for $31,070. A chart for $71,700. And a handwritten note for $179,250. Not all of the Apollo astronauts profiteer off this line, but Aldrin is certainly the worst offender. Mister Armstrong, so I'm of ABC Digital. Wanted to give you the opportunity to swear on the Bible that you walked on the moon. Will you put your left hand on the Bible and swear to God that you walked on the moon?
2: General.
0: Mister Sarpukhov. Yes. If you really walked on the moon, why would you not do that? So why don't you just put the into the record and argument, and put your hand on the Bible, swear to God you walked on the moon. Mr. Siro, well knowing you, that's probably a fake Bible. Okay. Really? Well, no, it's a real Bible. You have the opportunity. to have five thousand dollars.
6: The meeting is not open.
0: Well, you have five thousand dollars cash. You can give it to charity if you swear on the Bible that you walked on the moon. I, I have it a chain. That'd be
7: fine. Why don't I you swear
0: to? Why not? Why won't you do it? So why don't you put your hand on the Bible and swear to God that you walk on the moon? Mr. Seibel was made
1: a fool of himself in front of the world. Mr. Seibel, you do not deserve answers.
7: The difficulties
0: one would encounter while trying to land a man on the moon and return safely to earth are truly astounding. The moon has a harsh environment with the surface temperature ranging from minus 170 degrees Fahrenheit in the shadows to 250 degrees Fahrenheit in the sunlight. It is also a vacuum. To think that men made it there and back a third of a century ago is quite a stretch. This should be apparent when one looks at how the space shuttle has fared going only one six hundredth the distance that Apollo claims to have gone. After three men died in the capsule during the simulation in 1967, it was just two years later that men were walking around on the moon. This is less time than it took to launch a space shuttle again after its burn up on re entry in 2003. To win the X Prize, a private company had to fly a light craft to an altitude of 62 miles. This is just under the distance that the ascent module had to fly to reach the command module from the surface of the moon. Yet the winner of the X-Prize on Earth had to have their vehicle hauled up by another vehicle and then fire its engines to get to the 62-mile highway. This should give you an idea of how difficult it is to just go 62 miles high, even with today's technology. Then, add to the fact that the ascent module with its very low mass fraction, would have had to accelerate to over Mach 6 to dock with the command module, and the fictional nature of the event becomes self-evident. It is just outright unscientific and pathological to accept the moon landing claim, given the total lack of confirmation and inability to duplicate anything that even slightly approaches the alleged events of 1969. Of course, by far the greatest mystery in all this, is why the scientific community continues to fall for all this and accept it unquestioningly. Is science just another religion that has its sacred cows? If you want to stay in the club, must you defend the beloved cow, no matter how badly it stinks? Since nearly all of academia is dependent on funding from the federal government, any scientist brave enough to speak the truth would be committing career suicide. Scientists realize this, and therefore will not let their minds examine this objectively for even a moment. They all just prefer to run with the herd. As victims of cognitive dissonance, so-called scientists argue in support of the moon landings out of reflex. If one examines a timeline of aviation and space travel milestones, this contradiction of logic becomes apparent. Consider Kitty Hawk in 1903, Lindbergh crossing the Atlantic in 1927, Sputnik in 1957, through the space shuttle in the latter part of the 20th century. These were all within 400 miles of Earth. Yet the alleged moon landings of the late 60s purportedly took astronauts 240,000 miles away from the Earth. The Apollo missions, therefore, stick out as a fantastic statistical anomaly, and without any other similar events to confirm or duplicate the hypothesized event, one-third of a century since, the scientific method requires that they be discarded. This being the case, no one that believes the moon landing claim should be allowed to call themselves a scientist. The Cold War provided the perfect motivation for the deception under the specter of a nuclear threat from the Soviets and in the shadow of the Bay of Pigs invasion, it is easy to imagine those involved believing that it was their patriotic duty to help bluff the Soviets into thinking we had military superiority. It apparently worked. A nuclear war was never fought, so we are certainly in no position to second-guess the military strategy that the government employed. With the space race officially ending with this achievement, Nixon was quick to seize the spotlight by becoming the first U.S. president to visit Moscow. Cooperation for joint space missions quickly became the topic of discussion between the leaders, ushering in detente and easing of tensions between the two superpowers.
1: Uh, As you're probably well aware, we are still working on other programs, Skylab being the prime effort starting in the spring of of, uh, next year. Uh, We're also working on the uh, cooperative mission with the Russians, which will take place in 1975. And, of course, we've got quite a few of uh, the flight
0: control team as well as other elements involved in the work on the shuttle. So it's it's the start of a new era, I hope. It is easy to see why the government would want to prepare such a myth, even after the military objectives were achieved. The alleged accomplishment is a source of national pride, and no one wants to be the one to remove this source of pride. It would also not come as a surprise to find out that at upper levels of certain agencies, the moon landing hoax is actually somewhat of an inside joke, and that within these institutions, those that have attained a certain level are entrusted with this secret information. Considering the difficulties attendant in such a trip, one thing is for sure. When the first person actually arrives on the moon someday, they will have bought themselves a one-way ticket. An exploratory voyage of this magnitude does not lend itself so easily to a return.
7: Hey, how are you going to hit the moon? We can't stop between three buildings. Hello.
3: <coughs> okay uh,
2: that's that. So that was fake moon landing exposed and then prior to that that was a funny thing happened to the moon. I believe that's what it's called. Anyways, it says here uh Gerald Massey, there must they must find it difficult those who have taken authority as the truth
3: rather than truth as the authority. So
2: don't know how you feel about it, but the more and more I uh, do my little bit of research on whether we went to moon or not. doesn't look
3: like we did. <clears throat> but I guess I can understand why they did what they did. They thought the woods were doing the best for maybe
2: national security, maybe? I don't know. What I do find fascinating and fascinating in the first video, a funny thing happened on the way to the moon as they compared in the beginning of the video that to the Tower of Babylon and how it's always been man's desire to reach the heights and to be as God. Even though they are not. We are creations, we are not God. We are God's creation, so. Anyways, thing, I believe in Jesus Christ. It gives me hope and strength. It gives me um,
3: something to believe in. Someone to believe in. Besides all those others out there (laughs) who call themselves the
2: authority. So anyways, I think that would be enough for that. There's lots more out there in the internet, so but most of it's just repeating the same facts, the face face facts, the Van Allen belt and how we can't get through it, and uh, maybe this' God's way of keeping man from uh going any further. <clears throat> Who knows? I don't know. guess, um, yeah, so that's that. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was uh, you could understand what was being said. I know that all that music and all that in the video, so um, yeah, so I guess next time I do a recording will be about uh Revelations thirteen. I found two commentaries and um studylight.com about it and both of them, so I don't know which one I'll do. Um we have um who do we have? Okay, we got Adam Clark and then we got somebody else that uh found uh, by a David Um People's New Testament. What is his name
3: again? I got this itch. Let's see. Let's maybe go back. <clears throat> what is his name? Does it say anywhere? Mm-mm. Oh, there is Barton Johnson's
2: People's New Testament. Barton W. Johnson was born in 1833 in a log cabin on a clearing near near in Weno County, Illinois. His ancestry on both sides is of the stock which settled this country before the revolution. His parents were South Carolinians, and his mother was born in Tennessee. His early education was such as could be obtained in a backwood school on a farm, and from new books he could buy or borrow. In his 18th year, he commenced to study at Walnut Grove Academy, now Eureka College, where he attended for two years. Then after teaching for one year, he went to Bethany College in 1854. At this time, the college was presided over by Alexander uh, Campbell, aided by such professors as R. Milligan, W.K. Pendleton, R. Richardson, and others. Of less note, in 1856, he graduated in a class of 27, the honors of which were divided between him and A.W. Hall of Tennessee, and it goes on to talk more about his schooling, and uh, maybe teaching, in the meantime, in, in, in banjos, that endeavors, his Bible studies, so. Yeah, so one more person, by the way, that agrees with me, although I'm nothing special at all, but uh, the Revelations 13 is about Rome and has nothing to do with the United States. And of course, once again, it was attacked by somebody who was 10 days out of Venice, saying that it's the United States government. And the more and more I go through this, the more I realize that this is a part of the Seventh day Adventist religion. They pff, drive off being convinced that the United States is uh, the second beast of Revelation 13, which would be natural because it's a cult. And just about everything that they teach turns out, outside of pointing out who the papacy is. Uh, to be twisted even that what they teach about the
3: papacy is twisted so i don't know i don't know i know a lot of people
2: um like the other side they don't want to hear what i would say so that's fine i'm still going to share this stuff because i do want people to have it firmly established in their heads that Revelation 13 has nothing to do with the United States. And the United States is part of the Bible. As bad and terrible as the government is behaving, and as disappointing as it's behaving, um, and the fact that it's it's controlled by the Jesuits, it is just part of, once again, the extension of the Roman Empire. I know you probably get sick of me saying that, but... Uh, um, Hopefully, those who listen on a regular basis realize that man, there's starting to be an overwhelming evidence that that is the case, and that you, America is, is this great empire that they've tried to make us out to be. Well, the real empire, that would be Western Europe, Rome, uh, has been taking over everything, whether you realize that or not, through finances and through religion. And simply uses this country as a whipping boy. You anyway, know, so. As a, way, as a whipping stick or a stick, you know what I mean? You know, to, to right now. And it's just at our turn, and soon probably be replaced by somebody else once we're exhausted. Well, it looks like this country has been exhausted for a long time. But I'm sure they're not over overusing us yet. So, anyways, with that, God bless. Take care. And probably do another recording later on this evening, and then I don't know what to do after that. I want to, I don't know what I, I want to do. I want to weather start to be nice, and I do want to come back on the recordings a little bit and uh, enjoy life a little bit. I'm starting to feel a bit better, and uh, it's,
3: yeah. So, anyways, talk to you later. God bless.